go ahead, shake that jar of sprinkles and celebrate your role as a mom. I'm Stephanie Fleece with City Moms Blog Network, and my hope is that the next 40 minutes or so bring a smile to your face, a skip to your step, and a sprinkle or two to your mundane. This is Just Add Sprinkles, Celebrating Motherhood, a podcast by City Moms Blog Network. On this episode of Just Add Sprinkles, we're talking about a topic that's incredibly sensitive, especially to us moms, and that is infertility. While we don't celebrate infertility, we do celebrate the women who share their story to help and encourage other women along the way. We'll hear from some of them today. Now, if you're dealing with infertility yourself and you've personally experienced the pain of infertility, this episode is for you. With National Infertility Awareness Week coming up April 22nd through the 28th, we wanted to make sure that we addressed this topic on Just Add Sprinkles. Because while we are a culture of celebration and this podcast is very much a celebration of motherhood as a whole, we also know that there's heartache and there's pain that come in this journey of motherhood. And especially for those of you and those of our listeners that are in the throes of infertility or have struggled with infertility in their past. According to the National Infertility Association, 7.3 million Americans are currently facing infertility. And so we know there's plenty of you out there. And so this podcast is for you. Infertility doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate race or religion or economic status. Anyone can be challenged to have a family. And my guest today knows that all too well. Adrian Woods is a corporate criminal defense attorney turned stay-at-home mom to her two-year-old twins, Henry and Amelia. She is the owner of our sister site, Northwest Arkansas Moms Blog. And related to the topic, Adrian battled with infertility for years. Now, she says she's honored to talk about this topic, but she hid for years because of the shame. And we'll talk about that and so much more. Here's our conversation. Adrian, welcome to the Just Add Sprinkles podcast. Thank you, Steph. I'm happy to be here. Well, gosh, I am really thrilled to be able to welcome you to this podcast uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, obviously, we work alongside of one another, although I've never met you, which is so sad. It's so sad. <laughs> that is, it is the so world sad. that we live in. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Sure. But um, not only do we work alongside of each other, but I do, uh, I've loved watching um, and being a part of kind of just for the past year or so your motherhood journey. And so uh, we're going to tackle a topic that is a pretty sensitive topic, but um, incredibly relevant because I know many of our listeners uh, are either in the throes of infertility or walking alongside of somebody that is struggling with infertility. And so it's a topic that is definitely woven throughout so many of our mother journeys. And so that being said, Adrian, I'd love for you to just share with everyone listening uh, your motherhood journey, kind of from start to where you're at today. Wow. I know. That's hard. Oh, Sorry. So it, it, no, it's not. It's just, you know, it's one of those things where 
And I think I had mentioned this to you previously. For so many years, I never talked about it. I never told anyone about it just because, and I don't know why, but there is just a level of kind of shame that comes with being infertile, if you will. And so I still get choked up and I still get emotional talking about it because it was, it comes from such a deep place. So if I do get emotional, I'm going to, I'll just go ahead and kind of pre-apologize for that. But, um, so I actually have twins. I have boy girl twins. They just turned two, two weeks ago. Um, but the journey to getting to where I am today was a long one. I uh, in February of 2009. I had just, I started law school that same year. And so we had just put on the back burner, like, we're not having kids until after I get out of law school. And I mean, I'm 20, 21 at the time we get married. So it's not like 25 was going to be late to start. Um, so I graduate law school 2012. I have a job coming out of law school. And so I guess that's in August of 2012. And then in January 2013, it was like, well, why don't we just go ahead and start trying, like, or not preventing, I guess is the way that you could say that. Like, we weren't necessarily, it didn't have to happen right away, but we would have been thrilled if it did. And I had no indications that we would have any problems. Um, you know, everything from, and I'll just kind of get not graphic, but everything from my cycle perspective had always been very regular. All my doctor's appointments, clean bills of health. And so kind of in my mind, I mean, I'm the oldest of five children. My mom could just kind of think about getting pregnant and she got pregnant. So I just sort of assumed like, oh, within the next two or three months, I'm probably going to be pregnant. So all of 2013 went by and didn't get pregnant. And so, and you know, in that first year, you kind of hear just in the medical community, like if you've been trying for a year or more, that's when you need to go ahead and contact your doctor. And so I had a friend of mine who had actually gone through infertility, and she's like, call. It was her uncle. And she said, give give him a call. Just set up a meeting. You know, maybe your progesterone is too low. Maybe. And she kind of gave me this list. And I said, okay. So I went in, and I met with him. And he said, well, let's, let's run some tests. Let's do just some stuff. And sure enough, like clean bill of health, nothing seems to be wrong. I actually did have low progesterone. And he said that we can give you a pill or a cream to kind of overcome that. And so this is January 2014 at this point. And so I'm thinking, okay, perfect. Like we found my progesterone is low. That, that's going to be it. Like I'll be pregnant here within the next couple of months. And I'll tell you that 2014 took me to a new place just in life, just in general. I became, I, I would say depressed. I was never diagnosed with that, but that just became a very, very hard year for me. I went through, to make an incredibly long story short, rounds and rounds of Clomid. If you're dealing with infertility to any kind of deep level, you go through Clomid. I ended up doing what they call um, intrauterine insemination. So probably the term you would be familiar with is called artificial insemination. They really don't call it that anymore. It's called an IUI. But did Clomid for six months, did Clomid with an HCG trigger shot. We did, you know, what they would call like timed. Um, and so I would do Clomid. Then we did Clomid with a trigger shot. Then we did Clomid with um, an IUI, and I did, I remember our first IUI was in October of 2014, and it was actually on my husband's birthday, and we were like, this is it, like, you know, this is advanced for us, we're going to have a baby, we're going to actually get pregnant on your birthday, and of course, that didn't end up happening, and so just the devastation and the disappointment to a process trying to get pregnant, and we still didn't get pregnant, and so I remember we decided, it was October 24th. It didn't work, and so we decided to take off November, December for the holidays and just not worry about it. So fast forward to January of 2015, do it again. I had asked my doctor if we could try a prescription called Femera. It's kind of a new, not a newer fertility drug, but it's sort of another choice 
in addition to Clomid, because if, you, if you've been on Clomid, anybody that's been on it, I affectionately refer to it as Clomood, because you can get, <laughs> it makes you very, very emotional or very, very yeah. angry. People just kind of respond to it differently. I became incredibly emotional. Anything would make me cry. Um, and so in January, I said, can we just try something else? Like, just get me off of this medication. And so he allowed me to try Samara. But again, my issue was never something they could figure out. It's not like medication. I was still ovulating on my own. I was still doing pretty much all of the normal stuff. They just couldn't figure out why. Kind of then, I think it was February of 2015, my doctor said, well, let's go ahead and like do an ultrasound, see if there's an issue with your fallopian tubes, see if there's, and you know, I just, I didn't have PCOS. I didn't have endometriosis. I didn't have fallopian tube issues. There wasn't an egg production issue. There wasn't, you know, a male factor infertility issue. Nothing that you would like to be able to pinpoint and diagnose and say, well, that's our problem. And throughout this whole journey, I had always had in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, if we need to do IVF, there's always that option. But, you know, IVF is kind of extreme. I mean, you're talking heavy science starts to get involved there, and not to mention it's also incredibly expensive. And in my mind, like, I was going to get pregnant, so there was really no reason to worry about it. So we do another IUI. It fails. And finally, we do a third IUI. And I remember asking my doctor, I'm like, what happens after this? I mean, because we're at our third IUI and nothing's happened. Nothing has happened yet. And we haven't been able to figure out why. And honestly, he goes, and this is just my doctor, but he said, you know, your chances after a third IUI decrease. Kind of, if you're going to get pregnant in that first first three tries is when it's going to happen. He goes, now that to say, he goes, there are people that do nine and ten IUIs and then they get pregnant. He's like, but just statistically speaking, he's like, if you were, if it was going to work with an IUI, it would have happened in the first three. So he said, we should probably revisit, you know, the conversation on IVF if this doesn't work. And sure enough, it didn't. And so I remember, you know, I made an appointment the month after my third IUI had failed. And I said, okay, let's just, it's time. Let's just go ahead and, and do it. And so he set up a consult. And so we live in Northwest Arkansas. The closest IVF center that we have is Tulsa Fertility Center, which is in Oklahoma. So there's not even one convenient to where we live. And it's not like we live in a smaller state in terms of like we wouldn't have medical technology. That's just kind of how advanced and specialized it is. Over to Oklahoma, which is about an hour and 45 minute drive. And we had our consult. And I just remember asking the doctor, I'm like, am I abnormal? Like, why can't we find something wrong? Like, I needed something to be wrong. And she said, no, you're not. She's like, I see this every day, you know, and we'll, and we'll figure it out. So that was in May of 2015, and so they set me up for, you know, they sent me home with all of the paperwork, and I remember talking to my husband that night, and I was like, how, you know, this is this is a $20,000 investment, like, wow. how are we going to do this? And my husband is very financially savvy, you know, it's one of these things, I was a saver until we got married, and then like, he's an <laughs> uber saver, and I just remember him telling me, he's like, I have been saving our me- and our medical fund because he hasn't said he goes I've been I've been saving up for seven years like I've just been putting money in that account he's like we have everything we need in that account wow okay let's 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 move forward with this and and even during the IVF process there was there's ups and downs I'll never forget they do something called a trial transfer before you actually go in and there were some complications there that I ended up having to go have surgery for hmm. and I just remember coming home probably the lowest point that I ever got was during the IVF process and it was the day we found out that I had this extra complication that had never you know been seen before 
And I came home that night and I popped up in Facebook and I remember there was this pregnancy announcement from somebody that I knew and I literally threw my phone across the room and I just like fell down and I just broke down. Like I've mm-hmm. never sobbed that hard over something. And my husband had gotten out of the shower and he could hear me and he came over and he's like, what's wrong? And I said, I just need you. Basically, I just need you to pray over me. That's what I told him. I said, because I am so broken at this point. And I remember he, the woman just barreled out on the floor and he just climbed on top of me. And it was one of those moments that I was just like, this is kind of that for worse that they talk about in marriage. Like there's a for better. This was one of those for worse moments. Mm. Um, but we just, we worked through that. And so ended up, we went in and the surgery went well. And then we did our transfer. And I remember when she was like, do you want to transfer one embryo or do you want to transfer two? And I told her, I said, well, let's just do two. Like, we've done this far. The chances are better that at least one of them will, you know, quote, take. And I'll never forget the first time we went in after we found out we were pregnant to do the ultrasound. And we saw two little babies in there. And my husband just kind of, like, his face just dropped. Because I don't think it ever registered to him that the possibility of twins was likely. Um, But we just, we got to hear two little heartbeats. And it was very early on. It was like six weeks. She's like, you, our doctor at that time, had told us. She goes, you have found out much earlier than most people do. Wow. And, but it was a healthy pregnancy at 32 weeks. But really, they, they caught up. I mean, you would never know they were premature. My daughter was two pounds when she was born, and now she's you know just shy of 30 pounds. Sure. Fully fully a talker. So kind of in a nutshell, that was our, our long, drawn-out infertility story. It lasted about four years. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, thank you for sharing because that – that's hard stuff, you know, to talk about. And one of the things that you said that I'd love for you to expand a little bit on is just in through that process, it sounds like you didn't talk to a lot of people about it uh, because of, you know, the shame, um, what you said uh, was shame that you felt. Uh, do you find that that's normal? Like, do you feel like a lot of people don't share because of that shame idea? Uh, or what's been your experience? It's a really, it's a, I mean, it's one in four women, Beth. One in four yeah. women will struggle with infertility. That's 25%. Yeah. And I think, I know for a lot of people, especially myself, I think there was a couple of factors that played in, but I do find that a lot of women don't talk about it. For one reason or another, mine specifically was shame. And I couldn't even tell you why I was ashamed of, of being infertile. But the night that we basically announced to everybody that we were pregnant, that was when we told everybody we had been struggling with infertility. Mm-hmm. And we put together a video to showcase all of our friends. And that night, Steph, I had three different people just actually across the U.S. that I had known you from high school or whatnot send me a private message. And they were like, we've been struggling for years and I haven't told anybody. Hmm. And one girl reached out to me and she said, just today, and this is the part of, you know, looking back of our story that I love. And she said, just today, I was told by a doctor that, like, that I was going to have to do IVF. I know no one that has done IVF. I need somebody that I can talk to. And she said, I literally laid down for a nap. And she said, I got up 20 minutes ago, opened Facebook on my way to the kitchen, and there was your video. Hmm. And it was just such a cool story to be able to see. You know, through all of that hard, there was something really beautiful that came out of that. And mm-hmm. in hindsight, I don't know why I kept it private because I had had such an amazing reception to the fact that, oh, you struggled with infertility. 
you were successful and you were a lawyer and you had all these things going for you and even you still struggled with it. I'm not mm-hmm. alone. And it was yeah. amazing because I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody because, you know, when you're quote infertile, all you see is all the people that can have babies with no problem. Yeah, no, it's, um, I think so much of what you said is so true in all of motherhood and that, uh, I mean, we're cer- certainly the topic of social media is not the topic today, but uh, because, you know, the s- social media platforms are truly highlight reels of people's lives and they're the best. I find them to be the best celebrations. Like that's where people celebrate. Um, that means that for the most part, you don't see people's hard. You don't see like the st- troubles that they're going through. And um, to this topic, you know, most people are not sharing like their infertility journeys uh, openly online. And so I can understand why it would feel so lonely. Uh, But, you know, when somebody like yourself is willing to say, this is what I went through, and it was hard. Uh, And this is our story. Uh, To your point, you know, people hear that and they think, I'm not alone. You know, I'm not the only person, even though I'm sure it feels like that in the moment. And I've even heard from women, you know, now that I'm, you know, call it at church or just different social groups, they're like, oh, you know, so-and-so tried for several years. People I never would have known that are just years older than me. And so I don't know why it is something that we just don't talk about. I don't know why people can't feel like they can bring it out and say, oh, you know, we're struggling or we're trying to have children, but we're just having some issues. And I know there's always that awkward conversation where people are like, so when are you going to have kids? And you're like, oh, well, we've been trying for three years. I don't know why people don't want to talk about that more because it's healing and there is freedom in talking about it. And it's not something to be ashamed of. And it's not, there's not something wrong with you, even though sometimes you feel that way. Or in my case, I felt like that a lot. I'm like, why, what is wrong with me that I can't do the very thing that kind of defines me as a female is being able to bear children. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get back to my conversation with Adrian in a moment, but I wanted to take a quick break to let another mom share her story. Martha Navarro is a contributor for our sister site, Albuquerque Moms blog. Here she is sharing part of a series she wrote called Infertility, You Never Know How Bad You Want Something Until You Ugly Cry in Chili's. We just sat there and cried in the booth at Chili's, both of us just flat out weeping. Our waiter came to check on us. We must have looked so strange just sitting there crying. It was like we were paralyzed. One little phone call, a tiny bit of information and we were paralyzed, crying. It all started when my sister was pregnant with her first baby. Having been married for a few years, I figured it was time for me to start my family too. I wanted to be sister moms. You know, those moms who get to do everything together because their kids are the same age. I wanted all of that. I wanted a baby. After convincing my husband it was time we started trying to get pregnant. Everybody said we'd be pregnant within a few months. We weren't. After a while, we started trying extra hard by using month after month of ovulation calendars, basal temperatures every morning, even a little microscope that showed ovulation was occurring based on saliva patterns. We tried every position, every time of day, changing our diets, We tried really hard. 
two years went by and we still weren't parents. I made an appointment with a gynecologist whose website said she helped people who wanted to get pregnant. When I met with her, she suggested that we were not having sex properly. Seriously? Can you do it wrong? It didn't seem like rocket science to me, but we went ahead and tried for another year or so. Calendar, thermometer, microscope, period. Calendar, thermometer, microscope, period. After I got over my hurt feelings about being told I didn't know how to have sex correctly, I made another appointment. But this time, I called the only fertility specialist at the time in Albuquerque. My husband, Ryan, agreed to go with me. We sat in the doctor's office, waiting. We met with him and his staff. They asked a lot of questions. And over the next few months, they ran a lot of tests on me and on Ryan. Then, this one night in particular, we went out to eat at Chili's. Our mill had just arrived when the phone rang, and we recognized the number right away. Every other test had come back inconclusive or normal. Every other time, a nurse had called to tell us the news during normal business hours. This time, it was after hours, and it was our doctor calling. They had actually found a problem. So we sat there in the booth at Chili's and ugly cried on top of our forgotten food. We were unable to conceive. Incapable. Barren. Childless. Infertile. According to the CDC, one in every eight couples has difficulty creating a family. Infertility does not discriminate based on race, religion, sexuality, or economic status. You never know how badly you want something until you are told that it may not be possible. Ever watch Friends? I have watched every episode multiple times, but there's this one episode about infertility that makes me ugly cry every time I watch it. It's the one with the birth mother. Chandler's words about Monica and their infertility became a description of us after that phone call. We were parents without a baby, a family without any children. Thanks, Martha, for sharing your story. If you'd like to read the rest of Martha's infertility journey, you can check out the rest of this series on albuquerquemomsblog.com. Now, back to my conversation with Adrian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I know you talked through just kind of the various medical treatments that were a part of your journey, uh, and you briefly focused on the financial part of IVF in particular, uh, which is a huge part of it. Uh, but my, this, and forgive my naivety in this regard, but I'd love for you to speak to this for anyone that's curious, just like I am. Uh, what, if anything, does medical insurance even cover of this? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So most, so, I mean, I can only speak, obviously, from our insurance, but I've got a yeah. couple of other friends that have shared similar stories. Medical sure. insurance really doesn't cover anything from an infertility perspective. And it, it drives me up the wall, especially because 
especially as I've seen insurance evolve over the last couple of years, like our plan yeah. specifically just started covering gastric bypass surgery, which oh. is great. Like, if, but yeah. they won't cover infertility because IVF and all of that is the elective procedure. We don't have to cover that. And I just want to look at them. I'm like, I didn't elect to be infertile. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's not something I can control. So, but they wow. don't really cover anything. So it's all out of pocket. Um, I do know that some um, local government insurances cover it. Only a friend of mine, one of the girls actually that had reached out to me the night that we put our video out there and she had said, we're having to go through IVF. Um, her husband had just become a police officer and actually had, and she, they were on her insurance and somebody had mentioned to her, they're like, oh, my husband's a firefighter. We had to do some infertility and it was all covered because he's a fireman. And so she looked into it and sure enough, our local government, their insurance covered it for them. So I know oh, wow. some do, depending on the plan. I think okay. most private employers elect not to. So okay. from that perspective, yeah. it covers nothing. Yeah, and neither of us are insurance agents or anything, so we're not. No, we we can't so. speak to every insurance. But I just I just was purely curious. Now, I mean, I you've spoken about the IVF portion, but I'm curious if those two years that you were tr- you started with Clomid and then you were doing the IUI, like you had all of these other treatments that you went through. Um, talk about the finance financial part of that. I mean, obviously, well, this is an assumption, which we all know what assumptions are, so that's not probably a good thing. <laughs> but, um, like, they're likely not as costly as IVF, but uh, I just want to know kind of even just a bare minimum of what that looks like financially. Sure. So you're right. I mean, it is it's significantly less expensive. However, I will say this, like, it's all small expenses that add up over time. So if yeah. you think about it, like, let's say that climate is, and I should have pulled the numbers on this, but let's say it's a $30 prescription. You've, you've got to take the Clomid pills for however long you have to take that for. And then in my case, if you have to go in for an ultrasound, well, that's $200 for the doctor's appointment for an ultrasound. Well, then that's another $80 right there. So yeah. now we're up to call it 310 for just the, the medications and then the doctor's visit. And that's assuming you don't need a second ultrasound to make sure that all of your you know, eggs are at the correct millimeter that they need to be. So bare minimum, right. you're at 310. And then if you have to go in for an IUI, I think that's an additional, I mean, at least in my area, an additional three or 400. So, mm-hmm. and sometimes yeah. I would have to go in for a second or third ultrasound. So you're talking probably bare minimum six, $700 a pop, right. just a basic IUI. I mean, I call it basic, but just yeah. for something. And I mean, but like I said, it's, oh, it's a $30 here. It's a, $80 here. So it doesn't feel like a lot until you go right. back and you're like, oh, we, we dropped $700 on that procedure and now we have to do it again this month. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, no, I can imagine how it adds up. But, um, well, let's, let's, outside of, those are kind of peripheral things, right? So we talked about the various medical treatments that you went through and the financial part of each of those, but I, I want to kind of nail down, um, or, uh, talk a little bit more about those couple years that you mentioned multiple times, like were some of the most trying years for you and, uh, talk a little bit about how your infertility journey has affected you personally and your personality. And specifically, if you can remember back, which I'm sure you can, those couple <laughs> years, what it was like for you. So I will always remember 2014 as being probably the worst year to date. I mean, I haven't experienced anything as hard as that year uh, present till present day. 
you know, I'm naturally, I mean, if you don't know me, I'm a naturally glass half full type of a person. I, there's nothing that I love more than hanging out with friends and being very, you know, just out and about. I didn't want to do anything. In fact, I remember for my birthday, um, during one of those times, my husband, a friend of mine had texted me and said, Hey, let's go get a pedicure. And I had started my period that day. So I knew that it hadn't worked again. And I just didn't want to do anything with anybody. And I told my husband, I'm like, I just don't want to go out. I don't want to do anything. And he said, well, you know, your friend wants to take you to get a pedicure. Why don't you go with her? Well, what I didn't know is that he had actually planned a day excursion with me for all of my friends. Hmm. And so I just remember how hard, and it was sweet in hindsight, but I just remember yeah. I fought back tears all day long because I didn't want to be with anybody. I just wanted to sit at home and cry and sort of move past it again for another month. And I just, I'll always remember that birthday looking back and thinking like, I just want to be at home. I just hmm. want to be at home. And that's not me and that's not my personality. Right. But it was just so hard that I just needed to process and I didn't want to be around anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a really hard kind of two years because she goes, every time I looked at you, you looked sad and she mm. said you know you could you know you know you know your child you know that she's like you could be smiling but she's like I could just look across the room at you and your eyes were just so sad mm. all of the time and I'll never forget like there's you know there's pivotal moments kind of in my journey that will always stand out to me and I'll never forget the day that I was kind of given the official quote unexplained infertility diagnosis we had, I think it was September of that first year, right before we did our first IUI, and our doctor had basically that day said, he goes, I said, so what's wrong with me? And he said, there's nothing wrong with you. He's like, it's just, this is one of those unexplained infertility diagnoses. Like there's, everything is working like it should. And I remember I pulled into my garage that night, and immediately behind me, a friend of mine pulled in in her van. And she popped out, and I was already sad that day. Hey, what are you doing here? And she's like, well, we're going to go to dinner. Or we're going to go to a movie. Or we're going to do whatever you want to do. And I didn't want to do it. Hmm. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, and I just remember at that moment, she looked at me and she put her hands on my face and she said, I know you're not okay. And hmm. you know you're not okay. And for tonight, we don't have to pretend like you are. Hmm. And at that moment, I just spoke. And there was freedom in that moment for me because it was like, there is one person who doesn't understand what I'm going through, but she's giving me the freedom to be okay, to be that this is my pit that I'm in right now, and it sucks. And, I mean, she had three children. She had not had any problem getting pregnant. And so for her to recognize that, that was just, that was one of those moments that I will always remember because that was one of those moments that I just go back to to think that was the start of realizing that sometimes when you let people in on such a very hard part of your life, mm -hmm. most people don't understand the pain that goes with infertility if you haven't gone through it. So to have somebody kind of in it with you, even if they don't keenly understand, is really, really helpful. And so I would just kind of tell that to people, find whoever that person is for you. And yeah. You know, I would hope that people would step up if they see a friend like that, because that mm. is what I needed. Yeah, it's, that's such a, beautiful thing that you just shared because I, and it reminded me of a conversation I had with a mentor in college, like for a lot of years ago. Um, and she, <laughs> I was not experiencing infertility by any means, but I was coming out of a hard season and she'd asked me how I was. And I said, I'm okay. And she just looked me in the eye, just like your friend did. And she said, it's okay to not be okay. And I have used that phrase so many times with people because it's 
tr it's true, right? We like put on this facade to so many people, even our closest friends in some cases, and we answer the question like, how are you doing? I'm okay every time, even though like to your point, to your story's point, like you're not, you know, like and just recognizing it. And I think somebody being able to say like, it's okay to not be okay. You're really sad. And we're going to walk through this together. Um, is really a beautiful thing. And I don't, I don't know why as women we do that. Like we're not comfortable telling people when we're not okay. It yeah. takes somebody physically coming and saying, it's okay to not be. For both to finally be like, okay. And I don't know why that is. It's something we need to stop. I mean, truly. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, I'm glad that you shared that story because one of the questions that I do have for you is, uh, and maybe you can think of another couple examples, but what words or actions and or actions um, did people do for you during that really difficult time during your journey uh, that brought comfort to you? So I will say part of it depended upon me actually finally letting people in and once I did I had a very very small group of people um just because first of all infertility is hard to talk about and so if you let in like if you're totally open with it you can't necessarily be offended or be hurt when people come and ask you about it and sincerely inquire about it so for me personally I let a very small amount of people know because I just didn't want to have to constantly tell people like how I was doing so I let a small small segment know but once I did um they they would, some of them came with me to doctor's appointments, like just to sit in the waiting room and pray mm. or just to be the moral support that I needed. And I never realized how I look back on that. I'm like, that was so special. Everybody has stuff going on. And so for somebody to schedule my doctor's appointment into their day. And like I said, I was, in, I was having to go almost two hours away. And I remember one time I called one of my friends. I was like, Hey, you know, Jonathan can't go with me to this appointment. Will you go with me to this appointment? And she said yes. And before I knew it, the three people that knew we were making a girl's trip out of it. And mm. it was literally for a 15 minute appointment. And we all loaded up at 6 a.m. I think it was on Tuesday, drove down for my eight o'clock appointment. They sat in the waiting room while I went back, got my ultrasound, got everything done. And we came back out and drove the two hours back home to Northwest Arkansas. So it was moments like that where I was made to feel like I was a priority and that my baby and in, you know, in the future is babies were a priority for them. Hmm. So I would say that meant a lot to me. Um, right. So if, I would say if you are a friend that is dealing with someone with infertility, even if it's just a text message that says, hey, I was thinking about you this morning. Hey, I found this meme that talks about how much infertility sucks and I wanted to send it along to you. I yeah. have those saved everywhere on my Pinterest, everywhere on my phone. I mean, I have dozens of them and I now send them along to people because you just never know what they might need that day. Yeah. Those were two specific instances um, that I can recall. And then, like I had told you, I had to have a surgery just with a complication. And they created this massive snack basket for me. And it was just little notes of affirmation like, this is going to be great, you know, just little inside jokes that we had had. Just It was nothing super extravagant, nothing expensive. But for me personally, those things mean a lot to me, and they knew that. And like I said, it was just a very small segment that walked with me through this process. And I, I'll never forget kind of the example that I use. I said they were the living, breathing example of this is my mud pit, and they set up their tents in it. And they're like, mm. we, we meant it when we said we were here. And I think that's very rare. 
I have found these days to have people that will go through the hard with you because sometimes you're not a pleasant person in the hard. I mean, let's yeah. be very honest. Yeah. And so for people to love you through that and then still be just your closest friends on the other side of it, that is gold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, what would you say people, I know you gave the example of sending memes, which I love that because, it, <laughs> um, and now there's um, all sorts of giffies and like yes. I mean all sorts of stuff I don't even know if that's how you say it oh my gosh I'd be so embarrassed <laughs> who knows anyone listening out there want to give us <laughs> insight on that but GIF or is it GIF, GIF we don't who know who knows no right uh but there are sometimes at least in my heart those types of things do bring a little of silly and a smile to your face that is kind of the only way to communicate it sometimes, right? Absolutely. <laughs> At times. Um, but, but I would say just like face-to-face, uh, and you mentioned texts or whatnot, which is obviously a major form of communication, but what would you suggest people might say to a friend that is struggling with infertility right now? So, and this is, I can only obviously speak for me, but sometimes even just being completely blatantly honest and saying infertility sucks and I'm sorry you're having to go through this. Mm. I don't need you to tell me that, you know, that a baby's going to come for me that, you know, the Lord will answer my prayer or whatever. I just needed to be told, you know what, this sucks and I'm so sorry. I don't know why you're having to go through this. Right. I don't, I mean, sometimes I think we struggle and I've talked to several of my friends. I'm like, what do you wish you had known? Just telling you I'm sorry was sufficient. Cause she said, I always thought I needed to have something profound to tell you. And I didn't, she's like, all you, she goes, you responded more positively every time. I'm like, I'm just so sorry that you're going through this. So I would say that is probably where to start. Like if you have no words, just tell them that, you know, it sucks. You know, that it's terrible, that it's awful and that you're so sorry that they're having to go through it. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, religiously minded, if they're, you're praying for them and really do it. Like a lot of times I think if we can be flippant and just say, oh, I'm yes. praying for you and never actually follow through. Right. I think people that do, if you, you know, make that a priority, I think that means a lot to people. Yeah. Um, so those would kind of be my two big things that I would just say. Sometimes all you have to say is just apologize, even though you didn't cause it. They, sometimes those words, I am sorry, are just very freeing. Yes. Yeah. No, I think those are good suggestions because in all of life, more often than not, I find that when people don't know what to do, they don't do anything. Uh, and that can feel so isolating, I'm sure. To And as you mentioned, you know, if your natural inclination was to isolate yourself in your darkest times and people don't know what to do for you and so they back away, then it's only feeding to, you know, the, yeah. the hardness of the season. And so say, you know, I, I do agree that the honesty is oftentimes the best solution. Like, it sucks. Like, I'm so sorry you're going through this and just calling it as it is and then showing up like it sounds like many of your friends did, which is really a cool, amazing relationship builder, too. Uh, And so now here's 
kind of my last question for you because uh, I, as you mentioned, you know, the statistics are one in four women struggle with infertility. So I am willing to bet that many of our listeners are in their infertility journey themselves. And so do you have kind of uh, something that you might be willing to share in terms of just a word of encouragement for anyone that's listening that's going through the throes of infertility themselves? I would just like them to know, and it sounds cliche, but that you're not struggling alone. And I know that it feels like you are. I know that it's not fair. I know that, you know, sometimes you can look at God and you can just ask him, like, you know, why me? Uh, especially if it's an unexplained and you're just like, I just need a diagnosis and there is not one and things just don't seem to make sense. And I would, I guess if I were to give them any advice at all, I would say find someone to talk to, even if it's a professional counselor, even if you have to talk to, you have to pay to talk to someone. Well, I have friends now that are very kind of open with their, you know, infertility or secondary infertility stories. And I wish that I had done that because there was so much healing that occurred after I told people, after I realized I wasn't alone. But I think a lot of times we as women are so, so hard on ourselves. Mm. And we just, we want to keep it to ourselves. We want to put on that facade on Facebook that we have it all together and that life is super great. When inside we're just slowly chipping away and, and sort of dying that part of our, our heart. Hmm. And it's not meant to be that way. Motherhood is a celebration, even if you're not quote a mom yet. Someone once told me, they were like, you know, motherhood is also a state of your heart because you can have women that have babies all day long and then they're giving them up because they can't take care of them because they didn't really want to be a parent. And then you have women, you know, like myself for years are like, I just want a baby. I don't care who's day. I just want a baby. And so, and I know that a lot of times I would feel, you know, very disappointed when, you know, my friends are like, oh, we're going to this mom conference. And I would be like, oh, well, I can't go to that because I don't have you know, a baby or I don't have kids. When really mm -hmm. there was all sorts of things that could have, I could have gleaned from that, but I just, I stepped back and I wouldn't allow myself to participate because I didn't mm. have a quote baby, even yeah. though everybody's like, you'll make a great mom someday. So yeah. I would just tell people the hardest part for me, at least was letting people in. Hmm. So I would ask them, especially like during national infertility week, yeah. just let somebody know. It doesn't have to be this huge proclamation on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or wherever. Right. Let somebody know. And if you're that friend that they, that, does get invited in, treasure that because it's a mm. big, big deal if they do let you in on Yeah. Well, Adrian, uh, thank you for sharing uh, your story with us. And I, I know you mentioned a number of times a video that you and your husband created, and I'm going to make sure that we link to that in the show notes so uh, people can listen, can watch that video because I do think that that's a beautiful illustration of your journey. But uh, thank you for everything that you just shared. Honestly, I um, admittedly am someone that has, has, my motherhood journey has been very easy and I have not struggled with infertility. And so I found um, your story to be really, um, you know, just interesting because I do that that's not a road I've walked, but I want to know that, but also helpful in terms of how can I walk alongside of uh, my friends that are walking that road. And so, uh, thank you for being here and for being willing to share. You're welcome. Thanks, Steph. Hi there. I'm Michelle Fortin with the City Moms Blog Network. You just heard a fantastic conversation between City Moms Blog Network founder, Stephanie Fleece, and Adrian Wood 
a contributor to our Albuquerque site, Albuquerque Moms Blog. Adrian is one of thousands of moms who are contributors to City Moms Blog network sites across the country. We now have nearly 80 sites with millions of moms reading our content every month. Today, we're highlighting one of our great sites, and it happens to be the original site, Scottsdale Moms Blog in Arizona. Scottsdale Moms Blog launched in 2010. Currently, 24 moms in the Scottsdale community work together to provide content for fellow moms in their city. Angela Baracco and Jessica Becker own Scottsdale Moms Blog, and Jessica joins us now with an update on how the site is impacting moms. We have so much going on at Scottsdale Moms Blog right now that we are so excited about. We are giving moms in our community a voice and a place to really share their thoughts and their feelings, their advice, and just everything parenting and mom-related and community-related. We have just a little over 20 contributors that are sharing their voices and their experiences with all of the other local moms. So that is something that's really great that we are proud of on our website. And we're really trying to reach beyond the website and connect moms in real life and really help them find that mom tribe that they need, those friends that they need, and connect their children, maybe find their future best friends. We have small groups on our Facebook page for moms to connect and ask questions. We, um, we're planning play dates all throughout the spring and summer and even through the fall and winter months. And then of course we're planning our larger events, big family events or mom's night outs for people to meet each other in real life, make those connections and just really spend time together. And you know, we're really trying to work with local businesses. We want um, moms to know about different businesses they can find in the area, and we want businesses to be able to really reach out to the moms and share what services and products they offer and why they're so great in our community. And so, yeah, we're really excited about all the things we have going on, and we hope that you'll all join along and follow us as well. Connection is the heart behind City Moms Blog Network. Motherhood can be a lonely journey. Our local sites, like Scottsdale Moms Blog, all aim to connect moms in their communities by sharing information online and hosting offline events. If you're interested in joining our sisterhood and building authentic community with other moms in your area, please visit citymomsblog.com for more information. That's it for this episode of Just Add Sprinkles, Celebrating Motherhood. If you're a mom or your heart is crying to be a mom, I hope this episode encouraged you. I know for me, I've had the blessing of not having to walk the road of infertility, but my conversation with Adrienne really got me thinking about ways that I can better support those of you that are walking that road currently or have um, or will in the, in the future as well. So thanks for joining us. And remember mom, you're doing a great job. Keep it up and don't forget to just add sprinkles. For show notes and more information on this episode of Just Add Sprinkles Celebrating Motherhood, please visit citymomsblog.com. There, you can find more information on our topic, our guest, and our host, Stephanie Fleece. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to give a review wherever you listen to podcasts so we can keep encouraging moms to celebrate motherhood and just add sprinkles.